his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. It is 83 degrees and 608 in the Twin Cities. Great to be with you on a Saturday night. We've got a lot going on. Uh, Coming up, we have a real treat. Uh, Somebody I actually have uh, been lucky enough to know for a long time. Uh, His name is Mike Reese. Probably don't know that name, but you certainly know his work. He is one of the original writers for The Simpsons. He's written for people like Johnny Carson And he has got an awesome new book out called Springfield Confidential that takes you – first of all, it's really funny. Uh, So if if you're looking for a good read this summer, I highly recommend it. But it also takes you behind a world that you don't really hear that much about. And that is really the high-pressure, high-stakes world of big-time comedy writing. And when you think about The Simpsons, it – these shows or great comedy, it seems effortless. And that's the genius behind it because it is not effortless. <laughs> it, it, it takes sort of this brilliance, this genius, uh, this creativity, this raw comic ability to just get in there and do it. And, and that's what Mike Reese's book does. And I, I just, I think it's really cool. And I think if you're, if you're looking for like kind of a fun book to enjoy, uh, this summer, uh, Springfield Confidential is it. And just uh, coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to actually chat with Mike Reese, who, as I said, is one of the top comedy writers in the country. Uh, later this hour, we'll also talk with uh, Bob Storley, who is an expert on caves in Minnesota. Minnesota has many, many caves, and a lot of people are thinking about caves these days with this really horrific and, and really you know, tragic and, and scary situation in Thailand with these 12 children trapped in a cave with their coach. So we'll talk about that. And then, of course, at 8 o'clock, uh, David Schultz uh, on our political scene. It has never been a little crazier. The president set to n- nominate his Supreme Court pick, uh, I think, Monday night. So we'll talk to Professor David Schultz about that. So I want to take a quick break because uh, hopefully I'd like to maximize our time with uh, the one and only Mike Reese, one of the nation's top comedy writers, who has written really a wonderful book called Springfield Confidential. And as I said, you know, a lot of us, you know, kind of get to go on vacation and, you know, we, we get to like, you know, maybe, maybe you have a book, maybe you don't have time for most of the year, but this is the one time of year when you might have a chance to do that. And, this book is really cool because it really takes you behind the scenes, uh, as I said, of, of just what it takes to be a top comedy writer, what it takes to be on a top show, how much work it is, and, and also what it takes to be a, a comedy writer for some of the legends, uh, comic legends of our time. So keep it here, News Radio 830 WCCO.
All right, folks, Esme Murphy back with you. Um, as I told you earlier, you know, we all hope to go on, you know, cool vacations and maybe take a break. And a lot of us are looking for a kind of a fun book to read and maybe get something, a perspective on something that you might not expect. And I just want to say and give a shout out to the book Springfield Confidential by one of the original writers of The Simpsons, Mike Reese, somebody I've known for many, many years. I probably shouldn't say how many because it's a long time. But this is such a great book. But it also, in addition to kind of taking you inside the world of The Simpsons and being super funny, it also takes you into into a world that you don't hear that much about. I, I don't think I've ever really read anything that takes you inside this world. And that is the world of really the high stakes, the high pressure, and yes, the very funny world of big-time comedy. Mike Reese, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you. What a great introduction. I can't possibly live up to that. Well, but it's, it, you know, it's so true. And, and it's, it's you know, it's as I said, the book is so good and so funny. But it also really, I think, opens up, you know, a, a window into this world that I think a lot of us don't think about. Because great comedy, when when we all watch it and sit there and we're having a, beer or a glass of wine, you know, on our sofa, it's effortless and and, and it ain't. <laughs> it is not. No, it's a, a friend of mine used to work. I forget which sitcom it was. I think it was Alice, a really terrible sitcom. And they would ask the I, I kind of liked Alice. <laughs> oh, okay. well, you should watch it again. I mean, it's, <laughs> if you say you like Alice, it sort of undermines all the praise. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but at, during the tapings, they would ask the audience, how long do you think this show took to write? And the, some people would say, well, it's a half-hour show, so it took a half-hour to write. And other people would say, I just thought they were kind of making it up as they go along. So I'm, I'm glad I can tell people it's a really hard job. It's the most fun job in the world, writing comedy, and especially writing The Simpsons. But it's hard. Nobody would do it for free. All right. We're chatting with Mike Reese, one of the original writers, still one of the writers on The Simpsons. He has a new book out, Springfield Confidential, available anywhere books are sold, I, I assume. Right, Mike? Everywhere books are sold. <laughs> okay. books aren't sold. I think okay. there's some bakeries and hardware stores that are selling it, too. Okay. But but why don't you talk about, because one of the things, you know, obviously this is such a, a, a mega blockbuster, but when you started – uh, the expectations, the threshold for, for The Simpsons was really, really low. I mean, no one thought this would, you know, be a a hit, much less a hit that that would still be, you know, going strong all these years later. There, nobody had any faith in the show, including me. I mean, I there was some real low-ranking sitcom I wanted to work on that nobody remembers. It just it was a summer job and. I couldn't get this crummy sitcom job. And so as a summer job, I took my second choice, which was The Simpsons. And it was only offered to me because everyone else in town had turned it down. It just sounded like such a loser of a proposition. You got to remember it's 1988. And the idea of doing a cartoon in prime time hadn't been done since the Flintstones. And it was on the Fox network, which it was brand new at the time. And, no one knew if it would be there from week to week. So I was sitting with the other writers two weeks before the show came on the air, and I asked them, how long do you think this will last? And everybody said, six weeks. We had made 13, <laughs> we'd made 13 weeks worth of shows, and we thought we weren't even going to get to show them all. So 
that was it. And I sometimes I think that's the secret of the success of the show was just this idea. We didn't think anyone was going to watch it. So we just kind of made it for ourselves and we entertained ourselves and we packed it. We took, we said, we're never going to get this chance again. So let's pack it with everything we never get to see on TV. Right. And, and you know, what, what I thought was also really interesting is to hear about the writers' meetings and kind of what goes into those meetings and then what also goes into the actual, you know, production of each show. Uh, because, as I said, in, you know, when you look at it, it's so effortless for us as, as you know, fans and, and listeners and, and, you know, viewers. And it really is something that is built at – all kinds of levels, and and then the, the writing part, you, you're, you're trading jokes or throwing jokes back and forth. Uh, it's it's something that most people wouldn't even think about. Yes, I was a little surprised. It's a, I, I was dreading even writing it, describing the process of how we make the show, because it's a 23-step process to make one episode. And then, and then I looked it up, and uh, in contrast, it's only eight-step process to transplant a liver. <laughs> you, you can transplant three livers in the time you can make one Simpsons. It takes nine months. It's eight complete rewrites, and we just change it and change it and change it. That's the thing to know about the scripts is if you wrote the greatest Simpsons script in history, by the time it hits the air nine months later, we've thrown out 80% of your script. Often we've thrown out 100% of the script, and that's just our process. Grind through it, make it better and better and better. You know, and when when you go through those writing, you know, the, those writing things, is it something that you, you, you know? Do you sometimes have something that you think is just the funniest thing in the world, and it bombs, and then you've got something that you just throw out out there, and suddenly people are just dying because it's so yes, funny. It's, it's. I mean, it's the scariest thing about. You know, I'm I'm close to 40 years as a comedy writer, and I still don't know what's going to get a laugh. And sometimes I think something's going to be great, and it'll die there. And then uh, very often the stuff I get in the script these days is something I'm kind of muttering offhand, or it's sort of a joke of, here's the kind of thing we would never put in the show, and then it goes in the show. So, yeah, I it's it's just not a science. I think that's the takeaway I've learned from it all. It, we're talk, chatting with Mike Reese, who is one of the original writers of The Simpsons, and he has written a book called Springfield Confidential, which is very funny and also, as I said, takes you inside this world that a lot of people don't really think about. Um, one of the things, and I didn't know, as I said, I've known you for a long time, I didn't know about kind of your start in trying to get a, you know, become, a, you know, a big time comedy writer, which obviously you are, but, you know, you've had to deal with things like, you know, you, you actually wrote for, for Johnny Carson on the tonight show and, and he, he required you guys to write. And I, you know, I, I still want to make sure it's not a typo 60 <laughs> jokes, 60 jokes a day. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe Mike Reese is still alive. Um, yeah, it was- you really had to put out 60 jokes a day for Johnny Carson? I had to put out 60 jokes a day. All the other writers put out 60 jokes a day. Uh, there would come down to a pool of 300 jokes. It was also regimented, too. It was just a quota system. So we'd give the head writer 300 jokes. He would whittle those down to 18 jokes. Carson would get those. He would cut it down to 12 jokes. 
And yet still, night after night, half the jokes would bomb. And people would always say to me, Johnny's so funny when he bombs. Do you write him bad jokes on purpose so he'll bomb? So and that was it. It was very hard. And by the end of the day, you know, you'd write your 60 jokes, and then i go home. There was no humor left in me. I, 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 I can't imagine your poor wife. Would be like, you must have been like a, a, a rag or something. I mean, I, it, it, I was a zombie, yes. Um, and, uh, well, it just, it just, it just, again, it, it, it just talks about, you know, just how, um, you know, how elite this kind of world is and just how difficult it is. But also it, it does sound like it is the ultimate fun job. It is fun. It is fun. If you're working on a good show that you can be proud of, it's definitely fun because your job, you sit in the room with the funniest people you've ever met in your life. You know, you may meet fun, oh, this guy works really funny, but the people I work with are just amazingly funny. And even after 30 years going into The Simpsons, I'm nervous every single day. I am intimidated by the other writers I work with, including, you know, writers I hired, because they're all such sharp people. But then the job is just, we need a joke here, and everyone throws out ideas, so somebody makes everyone laugh. And then it goes in, and hey, that's fun. But now we go to line two and line three. It's just, it's a, it's a, a little bit of an assembly line. And uh, I did the math once. I think it takes for every joke in the Simpsons episode, it's taken eight writer hours. In other words, there's about every single joke in the script has required eight writers to sit around for an hour till they hit something just right. Right. You know, Mike, what you know, are there um when you look back at The Simpsons, because so many of these episodes are just so iconic and, and, and really have been so celebrated. You, you, you predicted the Donald Trump presidency. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. what, 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 can you, what can you say about The Simpsons? Is there anything um, that has surprised you about, I guess, the success? Or, or, or well, I, I guess you've already answered that because you said, you know, you, you thought it would last six weeks. But is there any kind of one episode or, or one series of jokes that's really surprised you or that continues to surprise you? Uh, there was one early on, an early episode where uh, we did an episode, second season, about Krusty the Clown reuniting with his Orthodox rabbi father. And, uh, you know, everything about it seemed wrong. It was about Orthodox Judaism. We had three rabbis on the payroll that week doing research for us to get all our biblical quotations right. And it was also, it was a whole episode not about the Simpsons. They're barely in it. It was about Krusty and his, his troubled father. And uh, and we put this on the air, just not knowing what we had at all, if we betrayed the fans. And literally, it's funny, for a Jewish-themed show, the, uh, the phones lit up like a Christmas tree. We just <laughs> had never gotten such a strong response to anything we'd done. And someone called to say i watched that episode and then i called my father for the first time in 25 years so it was amazing it was amazing uh not just that people responded to it so strongly but that it wasn't even about the simpsons it really emboldened us to say we can do shows about the other characters too right and and, and you know to take something that that you wouldn't think would be at all funny like the scenario you just described and, and how do you make it funny or is or is anything potentially funny 
Yes, I think anything is potentially funny. Certainly, you know, there's two or three things we won't touch on The Simpsons, but then Family Guy does them routinely. I mean, they do stuff we won't go near, like, you know, a Holocaust joke or an AIDS joke. You know, as, as shocking and irreverent as The Simpsons seem, uh, they're much worse than us. And I'll watch that show. I think, wow, that's funny. I wish I was that brave. In terms of... um you know, something that still surprises you about the show for all these years, is there anything that surprises you or is it just, you know, the, the creativity of putting it together? The one thing I've learned writing the book that I, I didn't expect, I thought I'd just, I think, you know, I always look at the show as like, uh, I look at the book as like an eight hour date with me where I just <laughs> roll out all my favorite stories and here's my best anecdotes and like a date with me you have to pay for the privilege. So uh, the one thing that came to me that I hadn't realized in 30 years is it's such a nice place. I don't mean a fun job. I mean, the people are so nice and kind to each other, and the writers all really enjoy each other's company. We all respect our actors. We, we think our animators are geniuses. And I think that, as much as anything, has been a secret of the success of the show. It's just a pleasant place to be. It's completely frictionless. Uh, we're chatting with uh, Mike Reese, who is one of the original writers of The Simpsons, and his book, Springfield Confidential. And Mike, because I know you've got theater tickets, and we don't want you to miss your <laughs> theater tickets. We're going we're, we're gonna, to like bump weather a little bit, which is a big deal in here in Minnesota, uh, and, and oh, chat yeah. with you for a few more minutes. Uh, because, you know, it's it's so interesting to get this perspective. Um, when you talk about it, though, you, you say it's, it's such a nice place to be. One of the things that you, you do write about is that there was friction over uh, when the show first started. You, you kind of lay this out about uh, the claims for who got credit for the success. And I'm not talking about the writing staff, but just right. the actual creation of it. And there was some friction there. And, and I yeah, thought that was interesting because, you know, and this is now a, a legendary show. You know, you've got obviously a lot of, you know, financial issues at stake. And it, it wasn't quite all easy at the beginning. No, and it is, you know, I, I thought, you know, because our fans really know the show inside out. But I was surprised a lot of them just didn't know this story about the creation of the show, which was uh, Matt Groening had come up with the whole show. He'd come up with the characters. but he was a local underground cartoonist and he didn't know anything about TV. And so they paired him with Sam Simon, this, this TV veteran, you know, probably the most brilliant guy I ever worked with. This is a guy who was 23 years old and he was running the show taxi. That's how great he was. So together they worked so closely and they created the Simpsons, everything people love about the show. And then when the first reviews came out, and in fact, all the publicity that came out the first year uh, just credited Matt Groening. They just loved this story. Oh, an underground cartoonist came to TV and showed everyone how it should be done. And nobody ever mentioned Sam Simon. And, uh, you know, it was he just hated that. He became like... Uh, under, un, un, understandably, you know. Yeah, he was really... and. It, what was amazing was he he was so bitter and so angry, and I got to say he couldn't even stand being in the same room with Matt Groening, who, by the way, 
Matt never sought out this credit, and he was always trying to share the credit on the show, but nobody wanted to hear it. They just wanted to hear about the, you know, the, the crazy beatnik and the Hawaiian shirt who created this show. So it was just so bitter. But even though Sam, he still kept running the show and making all these great episodes. And in fact, if you watch these early shows again, you'll see sort of the themes of jealousy and misplaced credit kind of thread through the early shows and see Sam's rage bubbling up in, uh, in different ways in different episodes. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah, one of the things that, that you address, and again, we're chatting with uh, Mike Reese. Uh, his book is Springfield Confidential. It's a great, if you want something kind of fun, unusual, really cool to read, it's available everywhere. Uh, it's it's a great book, Springfield Confidential by Mike Reese, one of the original writers of The Simpsons. He's still writing for The Simpsons today. Um, one of the things you do write about is why the show has lasted so long. And I'm just going to put my hand up and say, I, I think it's because of, in my opinion, the writing. But your thoughts? Um, the big thing, you know, everyone's asked the question for years, why does it run so long? And there's a lot of good answers. But it was one day it hit me, oh, I think everyone's asking the wrong question. Because it hit me something like, you know, we've been on for 30 years and nothing's been on that long. But the next longest-running show on TV is South Park, which has been on 22 years. Right. Family Guy has been on 18 years. And suddenly you realize, oh, cartoons run forever. And it's the only reason other hit shows don't run forever is because actors get tired. Actors get bored. You know, if Seinfeld hadn't gotten sick of doing Seinfeld, of course he'd still be on the air after 30 years. People would still be watching that show. And uh, uh, it finally hit me when I was researching this. I go, has there been a show that ran with live actors that ran as long as The Simpsons? And the next, the next closest competition was the show Lassie. Oh, <laughs> Lassie! Never that was a long played. time ago, Mike. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, and you know, it was a dog, and they replaced the dog. I think six or seven times, right. and no one could tell if you, if you could keep replacing Seinfeld every six or seven years. That show would be running too. Let me ask you: What? What are? Have there been any unusual questions about the book, or anything that that people have said, you know, about the book that surprised you? You know, the only thing that's really surprised me was, and it was why I was so I had to be dragged into this writing this book, and I'm sort of tricked into writing it. I have a co-author on the book, and his biggest job was tricking me into writing it. I wrote the whole thing. But he came at me and said, someone will want to read this. I said, no, they won't. Um, but the, the biggest surprise to me is how supportive everyone at work has been. You know, I, thought, I, I felt one reason I would never wanted to write this is I thought, this is very presumptuous that I'm just one guy telling the story of literally 300 people who've worked at the show. But everyone's, everyone's backed me up on it. Everyone bought the book, even though they... They know what's in it. They know what's in it. <laughs> well, I, I, so, again, it, it just goes towards the fact that the Simpsons is a nice, supportive environment. Right. But it's, you know, I think, I think for, you know, like the average person, the average viewer, it, it's just, it's a world, you know, you hear a lot about maybe movies being made. I, or, or, I, I just don't think that it, it takes you inside how something, I mean, first of all, it's very funny, but it also just takes you inside the, the way something like this is put together. And it's not something that, you know, I think most people would expect. I mean, it's really, 
it's it's a lot more complicated and a lot more you know intricate and as I said, a lot more effort than I think most people would expect. But I think that's what's so cool. And also just, you know, how people here, you've got this smash success and here you are, you're this big time comedy writer. But, you know, at the beginning, people were like, eh, you know, <laughs> yeah, six weeks, maybe. <laughs> it, it's a great lesson that you, you never know what job you should take. In fact, many, many people, uh, the, the worst job I ever had was a job Right in the middle of The Simpsons, I had taken a break, and my friend said, will you help me on the show called Homeboys in Outer Space? Which is, which is <laughs> what? Every list. I was just helping out. It was, it was, it was, wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Our senior coordinator, Jonathan, here is like just dying here. Homeboys in Outer Space. Oh, Did yeah. I get the I, I remember that show. That, I believe that was the... Uh, no, you don't, the, Jonathan. Was it, was it the WB or the CW? You remember it? Oh, I remember it Homeboys was, in Outer Space, yes. <laughs> Okay, Jonathan remembers it. I'm sorry, Mike. It's off my radar. We have a fan. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Are you really I serious? I, did, I, did, I didn't say I was a fan. I just <laughs> said I remember the show. <laughs> it was a show so bad, and this is not a joke. They canceled the whole whole network. It was on the UPN, <laughs> and the whole boys went off, and it took the whole network with it. Uh, and yet, the writers were really good. And as soon as that show went down, um, we took a couple of writers to the Simpsons. We took one of their actors, four of the other writers. This, their first job was Homeboys in Outer Space, and then they went on to help create Family Guy. So they're amazing because they have uh, their, their <laughs> resume reads the worst show ever, and then followed by one of the most successful shows ever. That is awesome. So well- you never know where you should go, what job to take, uh, and sometimes. Very good writers can be on very, very bad shows. Okay. Well, listen, Mike Reese, thank you so much. Uh, also, the, the a co-writer on Homeboys from Outer Space. <laughs> yes, that's my name. Yeah. <laughs> Homeboys Confidential. Oh, Homeboys Confidential. Uh, the author of Springfield Confidential, uh, available anywhere books are sold. Again, Springfield Confidential, Mike Reese, uh, R-E-I-S-S. Um, it, it's a fun read. It's really cool. Thank you so much, Mike. And, and you folks, y- you guys have a great time at the theater tonight. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's it. I'm not going to Hamilton. I'm seeing Sheer Madness in Bangor, Maine. There you well, go. Hey, you know, it's all I'm local. Hurry to get out there. <laughs> okay. Right, Thank thanks. you so much. Okay. It's been a pleasure. Take care, uh, Mike, and, and say hi to Denise. Uh, Mike Reese, the author of Springfield Confidential. Um, and at least one fan for Homeboys from Outer Space, which I had never heard of. But anyway, it, it really is. It's a fun read. And, and if you're looking for something a little different, funny, creative, uh, and, and also it just, it gives you this insight into a world that you, you, none of us know about except for people like Mike Reese. Uh, and it, it's, it's a great book. So listen, we, we are late. I want to make sure that, that Mike could get to, to the theater in Bangor, Maine. That matters. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to give you some weather. And then when we come back, we're going to talk with a local cave expert uh, to talk about flooding in caves. Obviously, the whole world following the situation in Thailand uh, with the tragic uh, and, and scary situation involving those young boys trapped in the cave now for almost two weeks.
It is right now 6.43 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy along with producer Jonathan Lowe until 9 o'clock coming up in our 8 o'clock hour. We, of course, will have the one and only Professor David Schultz to talk about all the political happenings as well as who might be President Trump's Supreme Court pick that that announcement expected early next week. Uh, right now, though, uh, we want to focus on an issue – uh, about cave safety. I think the entire world is really watching the, the situation in Thailand with these 12 young soccer players and their coach trapped uh, underground in, in a cave system that is uh, very deep, very intricate, and is also flooded. And I, I thought it might be important to, to, to look at Minnesota caves because I know that, that Minnesota has many wonderful caves. Many people enjoy exploring them, but there also are risks uh, and, and things that people really need to be aware of before they go out and explore a cave. Uh, Bob, Bob Storley is the Mystery Cave Interpretive Supervisor, and he is joining us right now to talk about, in general, cave safety. Uh, Bob Storley, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, yeah, thank you, uh, Esme and Jonathan. Uh, it's a pleasure to uh, to be here. Okay. Well, why don't you talk about... Um, some of the caves in Minnesota that are big tourist attractions, uh, specifically the, the Mystery Cave in southern Minnesota. Okay. Well, uh, Mystery Cave is um, located in Fillmore County, a county that has no natural lakes, which is a kind of an odd thing in a state known for lakes, but we have uh, too many holes in the ground down here. And uh, the Mystery Cave system is the longest known cave system in the state of Minnesota, at about 13 and a half miles long. Um, there is one other show cave system in the state, and that's Niagara Cave, which is uh, just about half an hour east of Mystery Cave. All right. You know, in general, obviously, caves are intriguing. They are beautiful. They are fascinating. But obviously, as we're seeing in Thailand, they can be Seriously dangerous, and, and we've had some tragedies here in Minnesota in the, the Wabasha Caves uh, a number of years ago, where, where a couple of you know kids lost their lives. W- what, in general, do you advise people about caves, and, and what would you like people to know from a safety standpoint? Well, I think before you enter a cave system, you should really know what you're getting into. Um, here at Mystery Cave, uh, the access. Uh, to the cave is controlled by um, locked doors. And we, uh, we monitor the weather conditions that... Um, so, so people can't just wander in. Right. Because I know some of the, the caves in St. Paul actually have been sealed off uh, a- after some tragedies. Right. So, you know, knowing what you're getting into is important. Uh, knowing the conditions that surround that area are important. And in terms of, you know, going into a cave, let's say you're out and about on a hike, you know, where, and you come across a cave, what are some of the risks? Is flooding a risk? Is actually um, oxygen levels a risk? I mean, what should you know? Because obviously you folks have done it right and you've got the doors locked. But what should people know before they go into a cave and try and go perhaps even deep into a cave? Well, if the you know if they don't know the cave system specifically, they they don't know exactly where that cave is going. Um, before you enter a cave system, um, you want to know um, what you know what is there, and so a cave map first of all is is important. Um, it, you know if that system isn't mapped, 
then you should map it when you go in, I guess. Uh, your cave party should consist of three to six people, and um, one of those people should be an experienced leader that's familiar with that cave system. The other, One of the other people in that party should be an experienced caver, and there's certain gear you should have with you as well uh, before you go into that cave system. Um, and and what, what would that gear be? Well, first of all, you should have at least three lights per person. Um, the standard, three lights per person? Three lights per person. Okay. Not not just the flashlight, like one flashlight between six people. Um, so you want to have plenty of light per person. And today, LED lights are the standard. Um, a compass, you should have water and snacks with. Um, the caves here in Minnesota typically are around 48 degrees. And so you want to make sure that you are going to stay warm enough because hypothermia would be a concern. Really? Um, so, so even now in, in these warmer temperatures, caves, if you go into them in, in the state of Minnesota, would, would be that cool? Right. The, your, your cave temperature is um, right or it, it's at the mean temperature of, the, of that area, so the annual average surface temperature. So here in Minnesota, we experience freezing temperatures in January and very warm temperatures as we've witnessed here uh, in the summer. And so the average is, uh, at least in this latitude here, is 48 degrees. So wow, okay. even in the uh, summertime when you, you would think, oh, it's going to be nice and warm, the cave will be at 48 degrees. Wow. You know, is there, uh, one of the things I was wondering is, uh, maybe this this is like a really silly question, but if you're going into a cave and you, you mentioned having three lights per person and, and the snacks and, and making sure that you have the proper clothing, how about like tying like a line or a rope to a tree outside and then having a, a line to make you know where you came from? Does, does that make sense? I, I guess it just it makes makes me wonder, like how you know when people go in, if they get turned around, or or get sort of uh, they're unsure exactly the turns they've made. Right. Um, yeah, you hear that. It's kind of the old Tom Sawyer thing where you're leaving, uh, you know, leaving a trail behind you. But the uh, accepted method of going into an unknown cave system is you map the cave going in. So you're using instruments to record the direction you've gone in, and then you will have a map to find your way out again. And when, when you say instruments, I mean, when I, I think about, so, you know, I, I guess if, if there's not an existing map of a cave, you're, you're talking about when you go in there, you yourself and your group is actually mapping where you've gone. Right. So if you discover a, an opening in the ground and you suspect that it could lead into more passageway, you know, maybe the first thing you want to do is contact a local grotto and, and see if that cave is is uh, known to be in existence. And maybe there's already a map there. Um, the first thing you sh- you know you shouldn't do is just dive right into that cave. So, um, if there isn't a map available, then you could come back with a survey party and uh, using instruments like a compass and an inclinometer, um, you can. Uh, get those measurements and then create a map as you go. Now, first thing you should uh, be you know be aware of is you know, are you, the land you're on. You know, hopefully you're not on that land without the landowner's permission because many of the caves in Fillmore County are are located on private land. Wow. Okay. Um, is this something? Um, 
you know, and how how about how about the issue of oxygen levels in caves? Mm-hmm. Is this something that that people um, should take seriously? And and how 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 big a concern is this? Well, um, with mystery caves specifically, through scientific study, we know that the air in mystery cave is exchanged um, throughout the day, and so mystery cave specifically, that's not not really an issue, but if you went into a cave where there's a lot of vegetative matter, um, the consumption of that uh, by microorganisms could create an issue with the air quality. So it's something you should be aware of. Um, and in terms of uh, the flooding issue, does that something sometimes happen with caves here in Minnesota? And, and how, how dangerous is that, and how quickly can that happen? It, it is an issue. Um, Again, specifically with Mystery Cave, I'd say on average we experience a flood of some magnitude about every three years. But there's different ways in which that water can enter a cave. And typically that is, uh, there's, there's three ways. It could enter through a diffuse seepage pattern. It could enter the cave through sinkholes. Or there could be sinking streams. In, in the case of Mystery Cave, we... We have a, the, the river, the south branch of the river runs right along one of our entrances, and the water is entering um, the cave through these fractures in the bedrock. And so it's, it's a losing stream, but it's kind of a diffuse pattern as it comes in. Um, if the water is entering through a sinkhole or, or there's a sinking stream, the water could come in much more quickly. Um, so here at Mystery... Uh, it, it it enters the cave a little bit more slowly. Uh, and and that's something that that you know I, I guess you know as we look at the situation in Thailand, it it, it happens so quickly. But it, you're saying that that's not that wouldn't happen that quickly here in some of the caves in Minnesota, or or could well, it? it again, it depends on the cave system you're looking at. Okay. So we know the cave system here very well. But if you go just to the west of Mystery Cave, there's a, a piece of property called Cherry Grove Blind Valley where there's a cave entrance to Goliath Cave. And if if we have a heavy rain, say like we did on June 9th, where we had... And you guys, you guys have been hit very hard in, the, in the, that part of the state. I mean, oh, we've all my, been following it, so... My gosh, yes. Yeah. We've, we've had a lot of rain here. And so on June 9th, we had uh, a storm that produced five to six inches of rain within a very short time. And the uh, the water flowed into this Cherry Grove area very quickly, and there is no way you'd want to be anywhere near that cave uh, right. because you wouldn't have time to get out. Whereas at Mystery Cave, it's a little bit different situation, and we we know the behavior of the river if we and if we know where the water is falling, the rainfall is falling, um, we can act before uh, a dangerous situation would set up with our visitors. Right. And, and, you know, are people, uh, and obviously you've got the, the locked doors there. There's, are there other ways to get into caves around the area? Because, I, I mean, obviously this is a natural resource, and I imagine that there are, you know, shifting rock formations and that kind of thing. Are, are you able to kind of pretty much monitor that? We, we monitor the cave system here very closely. Um, but we, we really don't have control of caves that would be located on private land, for instance. Of course. And the safest way to explore those caves would be to uh, go with people who have access to those property. And, and maybe one of the best ways is to join a grotto. 
um, or a caving club. For instance, here in Minnesota, we have the MSS, which is the Minnesota Speleological Survey. And they've developed relationships with landowners to get access to the cave. Really? And, okay. And, and how, would, how would people find out about the MSS? Um, you can go online and uh, just uh, in a search engine type the Minnesota Speleological Survey. Um, I have their website here, which is www.mss-caving.org. And um, you're going with experienced people, and they'll teach you ethical and responsible caving techniques so you don't get yourself into trouble. Okay. And then here at Mystery Cave, we also offer wild caving tours uh, that are about three-hour trips, and we teach people all about the responsible ways in which you can enjoy caves. Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much, Bob Storley, and and obviously so many people do enjoy this, but obviously there are dangers uh, anywhere in the world, and and we certainly respect your opinion, uh, and thank you so much for your insights. Obviously, a lot of us are continuing to watch and monitor the situation in Thailand, praying for the uh, safe uh, homecoming of those 12 boys and their coach. All right, folks, uh, much more ahead. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. Was just consumed with- His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. 